0: we've been in this series uh, looking at times when people shared a meal uh, with Jesus. It actually happened quite a bit. Uh, uh, Author Dr. Uh, Tim Chester puts it this way. He says, Jesus spent his time eating and drinking, a lot of his time. He was a party animal. His mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. There's something about sharing a meal together. Jesus seemed to know that. Uh, someone once said that few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on our way, well on their way to becoming one. I heard about uh, Bob Goff. He's a, he's, he's a lawyer and author and activist and other things. Uh, and and, and, and he, he says that uh, he has people sign the underneath of his dining room table when he has them over. And then, then uh, uh, he says that times he and his wife will lay under the table and look up and see the names and just remember. Guest book might be a little easier, but anyway, you get, get the idea. They remember that community that they've shared around a meal. So we've seen, seen Jesus throughout this uh, this series. We've seen Jesus hang out with tax collectors and sinners. We've seen him turn a, a small snack uh, into enough to feed thousands. We've seen him emphasize the importance of leaning in and listening close instead of being busy and distracted by other things. And as we look at these times when Jesus connected with people over a meal, uh, we, we we can connect with him too. So today, uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 14, and we'll see Jesus teaching extensively around the table in a bit of a hostile env- environment, actually. It, it, it's it's a uh, the, the passage is a little long, but I think we need to see the whole meal in context. So Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, here we go. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the, in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, "Uh, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, uh, the, the lame, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The, the first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Okay, so Jesus goes over to somebody's house after church for lunch. Okay, it's the Sabbath day, it's the holy day, and this guy, the place he goes is a, it's the home of a quote prominent Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was one of the the the, the leader, the teachers of the law, uh, one of the uh, the upper crust of uh, religious society, and, and so this this was a prominent uh, Pharisee, a kind of a, an important guy. For some reason maybe this uh, maybe it was a plant from the Pharisees, but uh, there was there was this guy there who was sick uh, abnormal swelling edema, I guess we would call it today uh bloating uh, causes congestive heart failure it, 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 this guy had problems, and Jesus knew that he needed to be healed and uh and so jesus before he healed him he asked around the table because he knows this has kind of been a sticking point uh throughout his ministry he says well what do you guys believe about healing on the sabbath is this okay or not because i'm about to and i don't want it you know i'm gonna um and everybody was quiet in the face of jesus in the face of this this uh this sick man nobody said a word and so jesus boo, <laughs> healed him right and uh, the guy took off, and then Jesus uh, taught them a little bit about, gave a little speech about how uh, how dumb it was for them to forbid such a thing, which they had been doing, saying that healing someone was working on the Sabbath. We needed to keep the Sabbath holy. And uh, anyway, it was a it was a thing. And then then Jesus noticed that, uh, that 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 they had some prideful habits regarding where to sit and and how important they thought they were. And so he spoke up about that and kind of confronted them about it. And he talked about humility uh, right to the faces. Of of the people who had just jostled for prime positions and and thought that they were more important than the guy next to them. And in light of all that, Jesus told his host that when he invites people over, he shouldn't, uh, he shouldn't just invite people that can pay him back, but he should invite people who can't pay him back. And that, that's where the real blessing was. Uh, another lesson in humility. And so at this point, I can imagine that the air in the room is a little bit tense. Okay. So Jesus is there. He's kind of fighting back here and he's fighting back there and he's, he's fighting back here. And, uh, and everybody's kind of gathered around pretty much, uh, pretty much everyone around the room had been called out at some point, uh, by, the, by that point. And although Jesus wasn't being vindictive, these weren't easy things to hear, especially by these people that weren't really following him anyway. And Jesus is confronting them on a lot of different issues. So 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 one guest it looks like one guest thought maybe he'd relieve the tension by saying something that he probably thought was uh, was benign enough that everyone could agree with and so he said, "Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God." You've been to uh you've been to Thanksgiving dinner a little bit like this, haven't you? When uh when maybe somebody's saying things that, you know, they they start Spouting off on their political views, and, and you're like, oh, I don't know that we should go there. Maybe there's somebody uh, talking about the conspiracy theories over here, and boy, now all the JFK stuff is just going to ramp up into high gear, right? So we got we got so beware of Thanksgiving. Wherever you're going. Maybe there's, uh, there's somebody who's, uh, who's, uh, preaching to everybody or, or, uh, uh calling people out for, that. I, I don't know what Thanksgiving is like at your house. It's, it's not all that bad at my house, but, but you've probably been to a dinner like that. By the time you get to the pumpkin pie, you're ready to just talk about something that's not so confrontational and controversial. So you grab the remote and turn on the NFL, right? Cause that, there's no controversy there. You, You've been there. You've got those tense moments sometimes. I'm usually the guy that wants to kind of bring the, the tension out of the room and try to get some common ground and, and work together and, and make it all happen. And that appears to be what this guy's trying to do. So, so this tense room, Jesus is confronting people on several fronts, and, and this guy finally says, well, hey, um, you know. Uh, and so he brings up something that, that, that he figured, you know, everyone's going to be blessed when they eat in the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And he's figuring, well, all of us are assuming that we'll all be at that feast in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's just kind of, an I mean, we've got the prominent Pharisee and the people that he's invited, and, and this guy thinks he's a prophet. And and so, so, I mean, all of us can agree that the person who's uh, going to eat at that uh, table in the kingdom of heaven, that that person is blessed and we'll all be there. And Jesus then tells a story that kind of says, Otherwise. So summarize the story. And that's kind of the, the, the main part of this, uh, this meal. Uh, there's a man who invited a bunch of people to a feast but when the day comes they all have excuses not to attend. So the, the way things usually happen back then they would they would uh, send out an invitation and people it, it appears that all these folks agreed to to come uh but then when the time actually came then uh, they said okay yeah it's ready come on come on over and they they started making excuses. And so so uh, the, the 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 man who had planned the feast gets angry uh and invites a bunch of other people people that uh, that the The normal folks wouldn't necessarily consider inviting people that are kind of on the the outskirts of society. The table's still not full, so he invites people from wherever he can find them, out in the the country lanes, the the, the highways and byways. And then to the original people that were invited, the, uh, the, the people who turned him down, he says, no soup for you, right? He says, you will certainly not eat at this feast. You won't get a taste of my banquet. So we need to kind of dive into this story and see who's who and what's what in, in order for us to learn something from it. Uh, in this story, God is the, uh, the man throwing the party, and the, the, the people who were initially invited would have been the Jews, uh, the, the, the people of God. Uh, specifically, in this context, it would have been the Pharisees who, who thought they were kind of had their, the in with God. They were the, the people that Jesus is having dinner with. The next group invited would have been the Jews that society maybe kind of looked down on or weren't considered worthy of an invitation. And the last group would have been the Gentiles, uh, those on the, the, the country roads, the, uh, the outskirts of town. And so, uh, th- this was a pretty radical teaching that Jesus would, would, would say that, that pretty much everyone, uh, everyone that everyone would consider would be a shoe-in, maybe aren't shoe-ins, but that most everybody else is included and even though they would normally be excluded from the kingdom of God. It, it's, it's not really light dinner conversation. Uh, but Jesus never really was, was one for small talk. And so it's important for us to see that, 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 uh, first of all, that, that, that the, the first group, uh, they weren't disqualified by God. They disqualified themselves. Can we see that there? Uh, everyone is invited to the great banquet, to dinner with Jesus, uh, invited to a relationship with God, uh, but we have the option of whether to accept that invitation or not. Unfortunately, uh, what John MacArthur once said is true. God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. God's grace extends much further. We have to accept that invitation, that, uh, that grace into our lives. These folks in this story made excuses, and much of this story centers around those excuses. Um, you've made excuses before. The dog ate my homework. Maybe use that one. The traffic was terrible. Sorry, I'm late. The traffic was ter- uh No, I'm sorry. I have to, have to wash my hair. Uh, you know, you've, you've made excuses before. Um, some of them are legit. Some of them, not so much. Try and just get out of something. Uh, a long time ago, I ran, a, ran across a list of um, supposedly real excuses that people gave on their auto insurance claim forms when they'd had an accident. Um, I'll let you judge if they sound legitimate or not, so, uh, so here we go. Uh, uh, real excuses. Uh, the first one, an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. The next one, I'd been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had the accident. The other driver was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. You're, you're catching it. Here we go. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. I thought my window was down, but I found it was up when I put my head through it. Yikes. Uh, going to work at 7 this morning, I drove out of my driveway straight into a bus. The bus was five minutes early. It's not my fault. bus was early. Uh, I didn't think that the speed limit applied after midnight. And perhaps my favorite, windshield broken, Cause unknown, probably voodoo. Excuses, uh, we, we make excuses for a whole lot of things in life, and excuses play a big part in this, uh, in this parable that Jesus told. Uh, unfortunately, I think if we look close at them, we can see that they weren't all that legitimate. Uh, the first excuse that, uh, that, that someone made says, I just bought a field and I have to go see it. No one would have bought a field if they hadn't seen it first. And even if they hadn't seen it, it would wait a day, right? They could still go to the banquet. It was a, not a legitimate excuse. The second one, I just bought some oxen and I have to try them out. No one would have bought oxen that they hadn't already tried out, that they hadn't seen were, were living and, and uh, strong and all those kinds of things. And again, uh, could wait a day or two in order to do all that. Uh, not an excuse to miss the banquet. The, the last excuse was I just got married. And, and actually you know this one sounds on the surface to be pretty pretty dumb but there's actually a law in uh, in Deuteronomy that said something says something about newly married men uh needing to stay home for a year uh, it's in the context though of not being able to be drafted into the military for a year in order to establish their marriage and and uh, and and uh, uh provide for their family and all those kinds of things so so it didn't have anything to do with social functions bring your new wife to the banquet, uh, let's, uh, let's go. It was not a legitimate excuse, some pretty lame excuses, actually. But before we, before we cast judgment on all of that, I think we need to realize that some of those exact same excuses are ones that, uh, that people make every day for not spending time communing with, diving into a relationship with Jesus. I just bought a field. I have to check it out. I think this, uh, this can relate to our, our, our finances, our money and our stuff. Right people prioritize uh money when uh and, and what it can buy more than more important uh, put it as more important than Jesus all the time right it 's all right here and, and I need to provide for this, and I need to do that and uh, it could could look like being stretched too tight financially so we can 't be generous to god or or it could be our worry and our concern over material things or or it could apply to to our our bills and our indebtedness and way we've we 've gotten too far. Uh, buying and maintaining our stuff takes a lot of time uh, and thought and effort, and many times it distracts us from and becomes more important than our relationship with God. I I still remember uh, Jungle Jam and Friends, the radio show. Anybody ever, that's like, Way along, okay. Like three of you, good. Um, I, I actually, uh, Jonathan introduced Jonathan Dentler introduced me to them back when our kids were little, and I got this, this several CDs, we still have them on the computer. Our kids listen to them, and you got Gruffy Bear and Nozzles the Elephant, yeah, okay. And and you got was there an Aardvark of sorts, yeah, okay. A lot of anyway, uh, Saturday morning, it was uh, great stuff if you can find it anywhere. You'll learn a lot from it. Uh, I still remember, uh, and again, we'd listen to these things <laughs> all the time. And, um, and I still remember one of the songs that was a lot about, uh, you know, our money and our stuff and having right priorities and all those kinds of things. And I, rem- I don't know. I think it was Gruffy Bear. Uh, maybe some of the others. Jonathan will tell me different afterwards. But, uh, they, they sing this song, The More You Have. And then they'd echo, The More You Have, The More You Have, The More You Have the more you have to have to take care of the things you have, right? So the more you have the more you have to have to take care of the things that you have. It's just a cycle and it keeps going and if we let it go and if we don't stop it and we don't realize that God is more important, that cycle can get out of control and and raise to priority the stuff that we have and the money that it takes to get the stuff that we have. Dealing with all of that can take our time and attention away from spiritual things. Uh, Just a couple chapters later in Luke chapter 16 we're in Luke 14, Luke chapter 16 Jesus is teaching and he says no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not an issue of money being bad. The love of money is bad. It says elsewhere in scripture. In other words, lifting it above our love for God. I'm not saying get rid of all your stuff, but what's more important, your money and your stuff or the kingdom of God? Are you prioritizing those things over Jesus' invitation to the banquet? I think sometimes we make that excuse another excuse uh, the second one here was was the excuse of work I've got these uh, these oxen. I need to try them out uh, When push came to shove this guy's farming was more important than going to the banquet And I think this is something else that we tend to misprioritize at times our work our livelihood can can fill our time And it can fill our thoughts even when we're not there and of course, it's good to be productive and and god tells us that we should work and uh it, not so long ago, we did a whole series on work as worship, and how work is a good thing, and it was established uh, by God even even before the, uh, the the fall of Adam and Eve. In, in the in the garden, they were already working. Working is a good thing. It's good to be productive. It's good to to, to produce things. It's uh, it, it's 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 a good thing. In uh, in February, we're going to host a a, a retreat, a work as worship uh, retreat day, right here in this place, for for people in our community to come in and spend a day hearing from uh, from speakers across the country uh, on this same topic of how to live out your faith at work and be be responsible in uh, in in living out that faith. Work is important. Work is good, but it's not more important than your relationship with God. Your spiritual life is more important than your upward mobility. Your spiritual life is more important than that, uh, that promotion or, or, or uh, uh, just spending all of your time and effort on your work. Don't prioritize what you do as more important than Jesus' invitation to the banquet. The, the, the third uh, excuse given here, uh, the guy says, well, I just got married can't uh, can't come i just got married and i think that's the excuse of our relationships and i think many times we put our relationships uh ahead of our relationship with god our relationship with people uh especially family right uh family is is import- I mean, money and work. We can see where those things shouldn't be our top priority. But 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 family. I mean I mean fam- that's it. We've got I mean that's a that's a great thing. And we should invest in our marriage. And we should invest in our kids. We, we should invest in those relationships. But not at the cost of our souls. This is a, this is an example. I think of well, all of these are of prioritizing good over great. Family relationships are good, but God still has to be number one and govern over those relationships. We, we don't have little idol statues these days. Most of us anyway, I don't think. Maybe on Survivor they still have that statue they throw around, right? But, but our relationships can become our idols. We put a person up on a pedestal, we say. Uh, that person and that relationship starts to fulfill what only God is supposed to fulfill. But we do it with our date. We do it with our mate. We do it with our kids. You see that all the time, right? Kids are awesome, and I love them, and I know there are you know, some of them in here right now, and that's great, and I, I love kids. And I know that your kids are the best, and your kids are the best, and your kids are the best, and your kids and my kids are definitely the best. Nick? Yeah? You're the best, man. You're the best. Exactly. You're welcome. Your kids may be the best, but they are not more important than your relationship with God. And if you are pursuing God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your kids will see that. And, and hopefully they will follow your example and they will pursue him for themselves. But if you're pursuing your kids first... They'll think they're gods. <laughs> and we know that that's not going to turn out very well, right? We kind of see the example of that all over our society today. Don't put any person in the place where God belongs. Don't, uh, or any of these things, your, your work, your, your money and your stuff, your relationship. I, I've heard it said before, a good thing can become a God thing if we're not careful. And all of these things are good things. Money, work, relationships, but they're not more important than Jesus. And if you make those flimsy excuses and you put anything ahead of following Jesus, there just might not be any soup for you. The people that made excuses in this story and said these things are more important than than you didn't get to come to the banquet. Good, upstanding Jewish men of that day, uh, prayed every morning. They recited, uh, what's known as the Shema. Maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you haven't. There's, Shema is a Hebrew word for hear, which is the first word of this prayer comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning in verse four. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And then they would go on to quote, uh, the, the, the next verses that talk about how to live out your faith as you're coming and you're going and in front of your kids and, and, uh, in your relationships, wherever you go. And they would pray this prayer every morning. Hero O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Praying that prayer and living it out are two different things. And that's what Jesus was saying in the story around that table after church on the Sabbath in the home of a prominent Pharisee. Many of those folks around that table, although they had most likely prayed that prayer just a few hours earlier, (laughs) were not living like it, and instead they were making excuses and they were revealing that they had other, quote, gods controlling their lives. And as much as I'd love to just uh, rip on the Pharisees around that table during an awkward dinner, (laughs) there are times when we struggle with some of those same things maybe you don't struggle with one of those things i specifically mentioned here today or specific those excuses mentioned in that story but but it's not really meant to be an exhaustive list the question is the question that i think is is running through this entire passage whether it's healing someone on the sabbath or uh, where you're going to sit at a meal or uh, or or uh, excuses that you make for coming to the party the the theme is who or what is most important in your life are there things that are keeping you from fully following Jesus? What excuses are you making that are keeping you from being as close as you can to him? We use this term, and, and I think it, it flows out of this passage, that, that there are idols or gods, little g, in our lives that we put as more important than Jesus, more important than drawing close to Him. the the image is drawing around the table, but but it's it's that relationship. Are there things that are more important than the relationship with God? That term uh, can be defined uh, gods or idols. It can be defined in several different ways. Uh, uh, so, just a, a few that I've heard over the years. A B Simpson says, "As long as you want anything very much, especially more than you want God, it is an idol." Uh, Henry Blackaby said, an idol is anything you turn to for help instead of turning to God. Uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but uh, it it rings uh, in in my mind a lot. An idol is anything you can't get enough of. Kyle Eidelman says, everyone worships something. Who or what we worship is what we live for. J.D. Greer says, an idol is anything that promises a life of security and joy apart from God. As I think about it, uh, probably the number one idol or God that we put in our lives is, is really just ourselves. I want to please myself. I want what I want. And I want to please myself more than I want to please God. Whether it's money or work or relationships or uh, pleasure or power or fame, if it's more important than Jesus in your life, it's an idol and it's, it's an excuse from entering into dinner with Jesus. We're all invited. Uh, Jesus says that everybody's been invited. There's a party in heaven prepared for us. Uh, we don't deserve it, and it's it's free. We get to go. All we have to do is accept the invitation. Unfortunately, many people don't accept the invitation, and they miss out on the blessing. A few, um, a few questions, I think, as we think about, and, and I guess I always want us to process or think about how these things apply to our lives personally. And so I've got a, a four questions there that we can ask ourselves. Uh, they come from Kyle Eidelman and his, uh, his book and series, uh, God's at War. Uh, one of our small groups uh, walked through that a, a, a year or so ago. Uh, good, good stuff. You can get your hands on it. Uh, it, it speaks into this stuff a lot. Uh, but these are some evaluation questions. How do I know if maybe this might be an issue for me? What are the things that may be cluttering up uh, my relationship with God, and, and I'm putting as a higher priority than than going to dinner with Jesus? One question he asks is, "What has left me feeling disappointed? Not just general disappointment, but 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 uh, is there something that's just kind of rocked your world? It didn't work out, or, or or it's it's not working out the way you wanted to, and now everything's just fallen, and and I mean, it's it, maybe you're putting more hope in that than you should have been." Or I guess another way to ask that is, what ha, what is making you complain these days? Because, uh, because those things sometimes point to the gods in our lives. Number two, what do I sacrifice my time and money for? You see, all idols require sacrifice. We sacrifice our time and our treasure, and we sacrifice for things that are most important. Because whatever is important, that's what we, can, what we do make time for, right? We, oh, I can't because... Well, you could if you... We all have the same amount of hours, the same amount of opportunity. Our biggest investments can be, be our most sacred idols and become our biggest excuses for missing out on God's best for us. What do I sacrifice my time and money for? The third one, what do I worry about? Or I guess we could say, what scares me? Or, or or what am I most terrified of losing? Maybe that's a good way to say it. Uh, 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 perhaps you're holding on to that thing too tightly, and I'm so worried that I'm I'm going to lose it. It's not going to work out. I'm. I'm it's not going to be the way I want it to be. And if God is God, everything's fallen in line, and my priority is in him. What is it that I worry about? The fourth question, uh, where do I go when I'm hurt? Or I guess, where, where do I go when I need comfort? Where do I go when I need comfort? I'm not talking about seeking comfort from a uh you know a, a friend or or a, you know someone someone like that not just general but but uh, some people seek out uh substances for comfort some people uh, see, uh spend their money when they need comfort some people seek out inappropriate relationships or alcohol or or, or uh, other whatever the case might be there are things that we seek out uh for for comfort instead of seeking out Jesus Christ This temporary thing, we're trying to bring fulfillment to our lives by something that won't ever fill. I can't make the list for you, but I'm pretty sure, I, I know, that if we're listening, the Holy Spirit will point these things out to us. And it could be, yeah, everything's on track in my relationship with God, but but maybe there's a, a danger of something creeping in and, and maybe my habits are starting to be drawn. It's always good to evaluate and reevaluate this, this, this stuff. Are there things that, that are there excuses that I'm making that are keeping me from being what God would want me to be, being as close as God would want me to be? Hopefully this list could help you to start to discern what might be getting in the way of accepting Jesus' invitation to the table. Don't make excuses. Don't be excluded because of your own excuses. Everyone is invited. Father God, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for inviting us to the party. (laughs) Thank you for for reaching out to us no matter where we are, no matter what we've done. Lord, I pray that you would point out the, uh, the things that may be getting in the way of our relationship with you. And Lord, not, not, uh, not the uh, the conviction that brings judgment, but the conviction that says there's more that you want for us than that. So Lord, I, I pray that you would, you would help us to be obedient. Whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing, may we, may we respond in obedience and love for you. Our hearts belong to you. In Jesus' name.